Hello again, everybody. Welcome to Show to V with Mike G. Show to V is the show of life, the show of booze, the show of guitar, show of headphones, empty Ozarka water bottles over here on the dresser. But honestly, today is really a show of rum. You know, I try to think of these common themes that run through the conversation, these interviews that I have. Sometimes it's about art, sometimes it's about love, sometimes it's about perseverance. And honestly, my chat with Jason Cosmas had every bit of that. It has the art school struggle the realization that art can be transformed into many other things, whether that's booze, whether that's starting a consulting company. But you know what? This really is anchored, this conversation, by rum. And I love rum, and I know you love rum, but more than either of us, I think Jason Cosmos loves rum. So let's sit around, let's kind of hear this wonderful story behind how Jason Cosmos came to be and ultimately landed here in Austin, Texas. You know, I, you know, I have to think that it has the potential to deliver. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm going into it all open arms. That's like, good. You know, I'm, I'm very open-minded about what he'll do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and you know, even. Just thinking about the the Star Trek movies, for right, example, right. and what he did. Uh, while I liked the second one he did, the first one sort of created this weird sort of like, yeah. you know, one name villain, uh-huh. you know, and it, it tried to do, I think, what happened a lot in the early Star Trek, but I don't, it didn't deliver it for me. Yeah. Um, so I hope that he doesn't kind of go. It's almost on, like trying to make an icon, right? Like out of the yeah. villains in a way. Well, and, and then the other problem that I had was that there were too many of the snappy lines to like get everyone to be like, ha, 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 right. I remember Star Trek. Yeah, Did you count the lens flares? That's a drinking game. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, it is. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a fail. You'd fail at that you, one. You, 20 minutes in, Chris Pine would start being a good actor, I yeah. think, like it's about that far in. But do you th- how do you feel about him being Kirk? I, actually, I like him a lot. Do I you? thought he was a, I thought he was probably uh, one of the one of the best additions. I don't know if you ever saw there was a. Uh, there were there's a there's a fan group that puts together uh, Star Trek episodes, mm-hmm. and they did a whole bunch of epi- like webisodes, right? Uh, sort of continuing the journey of the Enterprise from uh, when with this current incarnation. Wait, well, no, no, from when the series got oh, cut okay, off. This okay, is okay. like years ago, and the guy who was the lead guy was actually an Elvis impersonator, and so he had the sideburns already. Oh, but uh, but his whole philosophy or the whole philosophy of that was that. These are no longer characters that are portrayed by people. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, you know, it's like Shakespeare in a sense that you oh, know yeah. it depends on what the actor does with it and sort of how they how they interpret the character right. and, and all that. Not to get geeky about. No, it, no, I think that's good. I, Eric Banya's a good villain, but you know these villains are really attractive. I mean, you got him, and then you got Cumberbatch. At least like the. 
the kind of stoic types, the the tall, dark, and handsome guys. I mean, he he's kind of make removing some of the grit of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, and no, so maybe for sure. To your point, right? That, that that everybody's kind of pretty for such a dark world, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. and and I would say the one thing that disappointed me in the second one was the. I mean, you went into it. Come on, like you didn't know that it was going to be Khan right. by the end oh, of it, right? Right. You know, and it was like, oh, come on, you know, it's like try to surprise me. Don't you know? Yeah. Don't don't try like that. Yeah, it was a that's a, like that's swinging hard to 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 bring out the really the most iconic of all the the his, and I'm not his arch guy. nemesis. Yeah, exactly. you know, and that was, uh, but I didn't I didn't think they developed it at all. You know, it just yeah. kind of was like they got thrown together and then right. like, hey, here we are. And you then know. he wore the name tag, and you read the name tag, and all of a sudden the, the music comes in, and he's the, the most notable bad guy in the whole series. It's right. Insane. But back to the Star Wars bit, I mean, you you excited to see Harrison Ford and Chewie at it? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's there's some nostalgia there. I'm kind yeah. of curious to see what it is. I liked, I like some of the darker parts of Star Wars, sure. so I'm hoping that, you know, it doesn't get too fluffy. Billy Dee's on... not going to be in it, is he? Uh, I mean, I know he's on... He's... Is I hope I he's going to be he in one of the new ones. Like okay, I know good. that he's already slated for that. I've already gotten confirmation good, on good. that from my sources. Yes, but uh, yeah. So he the is sources. Actually, I, I think the cops are on their way right now. The FBI, sh- the NDA being broken. Exactly right. So Kevin Smith actually, and you you mentioned you're a big fan of Kevin Smith, and we kind of talk about him, which big influence on me too. Mallrats, I think, is maybe the the base of all my humor for the most part. <laughs> Jason Lee, especially in that movie, but. He mentioned again going at the, at the risk of being uh, sued. He mentioned taking a step a step onto not the the Millennium Falcon, right? Is this the story he talks about? Oh yeah, he yeah. does. He talked about how J.J. Abrams invited him on him the set, come, yeah, and then uh, yeah, and he said he he's like it's legit, it's legit, yeah. dude. And, and that's uh, he he said it almost brought him to tears. Yeah, you know? yeah, you know that's and that's kind of a cool thing. You know, I have a. You know, it's great to hear to be here doing a podcast yeah, too yeah. because that's thank you. Uh, <laughs> you know, Kevin Smith is a huge, I say, a huge influence in a weird way. Um, so, uh, I, someone I, I easily, easily identify with. Yeah. I grew up in uh, on the Jersey Shore. Okay, and uh, but your hair looks normal. It's not so slicked back. What happened? Yeah, no, no, I was never that guy. Okay, good, good. Uh, but you know, to 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 be clear, I uh, my my cousin lived down the street from the Quick Stop. The one, the one from Clerks. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. So, the first time, so when I was twelve years old, I bought a pack of cigarettes at the Quick Stop, and that worked. They didn't, they didn't ID you, or no? Was it, a big it was deal like then, an, right? it was the eighties. Oh, it wasn't okay. a big deal. I think I said it was for my aunt. Gotcha. Which could have been true. Uh, Benson Hedges lights. Oh 100s. yeah. Hundreds. The yeah the gold package. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And uh, not the soft pack though. Yes. And uh, so anyway, she uh, so he. So, uh, but I was the distraction though. Meanwhile, everyone was shoving like cans of Pringles down their pants and everything. <laughs> but it, there's beer right there. Why the Pringles? Uh, well, I mean, we were like, we were like, what, 12, 15 I know, years I'm, old? That's a irresponsible you know? thing for me to no, say. No, I mean, yeah, you're talking, we were kids. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. Just bought with cigarettes the first. And yeah, the exactly. First and best stuff. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, but, but uh, growing up though, like all of my, uh, all of my friends growing up were Jay and Silent Bob. They were mm. pot smoking, trench coat wearing, Star Wars quoting degenerates. Degenerates you know? indeed, yeah. Yeah, I mean, pretty harmless for the most part. Always harmless. Yeah. yeah. Which, now looking at it as an adult. Don't those guys seem like just really wonderful people? <laughs> yeah. They do. They're like really oh, earnest, yeah. really nice, humorous. I mean, Kevin Smith, especially just a normal dude making movies, you know? Uh, it was great. And, and actually, the first time I saw Clerks, I was with my little brother. Uh, we didn't really hang out that much. 
when I was in college, but he happened mm. to spend the night at my college apartment and uh, we watched Clerks for the first time together. Oh, wow. And when they remember when they had the ambulance and they shut the doors at the end, yeah, yeah. And we saw Leonardo, which is the town, and we just looked at each other like, holy shit! Oh wow! <laughs> like that's we watched the whole movie not knowing that it was our Could you, quick stop. Did it not feel the same, or just because it's on this different scale or this big pedestal in a sense of being a movie that it didn't feel like home? No, no. I mean, we could identify with it, yeah. but it, but all of a sudden it was like it wasn't even it wasn't just home. It was our story. All yeah, of a sudden, that's so cool. You know, so. Uh, you know, Kevin Smith is somebody that I, I followed in Mallrats. Jeez, I, I oh, think dude. that I had uh, I had Mallrats on re- repeat in the mm-hmm. VCR. I think actually I, I rented it and never returned it, and ended up paying three times the amount for it's, it. It's so expensive. VHS was crazy. Oh yeah. Then. And so, do, do you ever wonder if they ever got the kid off the escalator? Because I always wonder every time I'm in a mall now. Every time I see a kid on an escalator, I just. I always want to yell at the parents, like, get that kid off the desk. You don't even pay attention. Uh, I don't know. Now that I have kids, it's a whole different ballgame. It's a different game, deal, you know? right? I'm just like, yeah, I think about that all the time. That's right. Take a serious note. But uh, who would have thought Ben Affleck would have had, had such a great career after that? Oh, yeah. Being that... the asshole in a Volkswagen, right? <laughs> in the back of a <laughs> In the back Volkswagen. of a back, the uncomfortable place, like the back of a Volkswagen. So you said you grew up in in New Jersey proper? Yeah, Jersey Shore. I'm, so, I'm product of the, the the shore. Yeah. So how? Because you're probably just a little bit older than me. What? Forty? Forty one? Forty one? Yeah. Yep. How was Jersey back in what would be the late seventies and the eighties? Uh, I mean, gosh, back then. Yeah. Uh, it was cool. I mean, like you know, we grew up on a. I grew up in a town called Oakhurst. It was one town in from the beach. So, mm. you know, I I used to go I, during the summer. I'd be kind of a beach rat. Uh, but then the rest of the year, you know, you're kind of in your little neighborhood and we had a little, we lived on a little dead end street and, mm. uh, there were lots of other kids and we would play, you know, war and star Wars and oh, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Is it good? Do you, do you look back? I mean, do you visit, do you go back at all? I, I mean, I do. Uh, there's, there's, uh, there's times that I do. Uh, one of the, one of the other funnier stories is that there's, mm. a uh, the oldest kid on the block, uh, uh, is this guy Michael Drought and Jonathan Drought was my was my best friend growing up. He was okay. the closest, yeah, one of the closest in age to me. Um, and his brother was the first one to put uh, Lord of the Rings, well, actually The Hobbit, the cartoon, uh-huh. oh yeah, on man. for us. And in uh, back in the day, and and oddly enough, he is now the world's leading Tolkienologist. No way. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's like his tours and, and all of that. Oh, he teaches at Stanford, and every time a movie Stanford. comes out, he criticizes it or puts it, you know, into perspective. It's his heyday now. Then with oh, Peter Jackson, yeah, doing he's, the tr- that's insane. So, what did you? Was that a moment that kind of moved you to ex- explore that kind of realm of fantasy and stuff? Maybe acting or filmmaking or music or anything like that? Uh, I mean, you know, not at that age. I mean, yeah. I was, you know, we all played Dungeons and Dragons and that kind of thing, you yeah. know, growing up. So that was, uh, that was, I mean, the fantasy idea of it. I got into science fiction. Mm-hmm. I read a lot and, you know, maybe got into more of the details of things. Yeah. Um, and then other than that, you know, probably it influenced me more in, in art. Yeah. Um, so I uh, like is it, so at this point, how how old were you when you'd say you saw the the Hobbit? Oh, I was young. I 10, was probably like nine or ten. Yeah, something like that. So going into kind of your teenage years, did you start developing this uh, perspective about art? Because you're seeing kind of thinking about art in a larger sense. Was this that kind of turning moment for you? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of pushed. Well, I had a couple of other influences as well. Yeah. Um, you know, as a kid, my uh, 
I, I had a patron. My my aunt. Oh, sorry. My aunt and my grandmother were very supportive. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandmother. Uh, I mean, she was a she was a tough old bitch, and she was, <laughs> uh, you know, she was an ER nurse in Jersey City. Oh wow. Uh, you know, and uh, but she always respected and loved the arts, and yeah. when she saw the talent in me, uh, she uh, paid for me to have private lessons when I was younger, and then oh, even wow. when I was. I think around 13 years old. I was I was a little bit young for nudes, but mm-hmm. I she put me into the I think it was the Red Bank Art Guild. Yeah. Uh and so I was in this art guild with people that were anywhere from their 40s to 70s. Wow. And then I was just like the only kid there and we would draw and we do, you know, crazy. figure Pe- drawing and stuff uh, like that. Pencils or paint or what was uh, the medium? It was mostly pencil. I actually yeah. that's the first place I started using charcoal. Oh, really? So like, you know, like drawing with uh with a charcoal stick on the on the Yeah, absolutely. You know, sort of the newsprint kind of. Did you were, did you at that you know, your early teens or whatnot, did you have that nude experience and just kind of wonder what the hell I have to do with this? No, no, actually I was, I was pretty cool with it because okay. uh, those were mostly, those were mostly women, I think. Yeah. So, sure, sure. <laughs> you know, it was, it didn't really bother me. Yeah. Um, but is it distracting to the point where you're like, well, I don't know how to do this. I can't. No, I was pretty, I was pretty cool yeah. with the whole idea. Good. Uh, and uh, when I was, when I went to college though, I went to uh, Mason Gross. Yeah. Uh, at Rutgers, so uh, was uh, trying to achieve a BFA, Bachelor of Fine Arts there, and uh, probably the 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 reverse side. I I, I was in mm-hmm. a figure drawing class, and uh, we had lots of different nudes and all yeah. the time for that. Nude dudes, nude dudes class. for sure. And yeah. actually, one of them was uh, I was at a Spin Doctor show, just to put it into timeline perspective. Well, it had to have been the one record because I think that's all they had. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I think it has to be that one show. Be, they were like the Steve Miller band of the nineties. Yes, and. Uh, they, uh, yeah, I, I saw one of the, the, the models uh-huh. at, at the concert. And oh. He was just like, yo, and he went to go high five. And I was like, dude, I've seen your dick, dude. Oh, oh like, we can high five. Yeah, but let's, let's like, Did, yeah, later. It was, he, was he really, really excited to high five? Oh, he you? was way too excited to high five me. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, <laughs> someone has seen my dick. Like, it was just yeah. this wonderful experience for him to get it off his chest. Maybe he drew it big. I have no idea. I don't know. You have to, oh, yeah. Giving him some credit. I know. He's like, dude, you fucking mastered my cock. <laughs> like, shit, dude. The shadowing is just brilliant. Should, Spin Doctors, that kind of yeah, dates it a bit. But w- going back just briefly, so in, in high school, then there's lots of art. It seems like you've got a lot of talent, your family supporting it and all of that. Were your, how were your parents? Were they, they cool with it too? Were they together at the time? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, my parents were always very, very supportive mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, kind of, uh, of, uh, how did you put it? Like being a savant. Yeah. You know, in a way like they, they really, uh, they let me be independent right. and they also encouraged me to, to kind of find, uh, you know, sort of my, your path, my passion. Yeah, yeah that's good. That's yeah, good. exactly. And they've always they've always been very very supportive, which has been cool too. Because you know, I mean, there's a there's a long period of time where, you know, I don't think anybody really did or understood mm. it. And uh, there was definitely a, a were period. they all kind of biting their nails, waiting to see how how it panned out. Like we don't we don't know what's gonna happen <laughs> with this. We hope, yeah, we like over the best. Well, what is he gonna try to do next? Yeah, uh, yeah, and that was and that was definitely like in the late nineties after I, I had not graduated from college. Did you did you just say this is the wrong path for me? I it doesn't help me be a better artist and left, or was there some kind of romantic dismay? Exactly. What, oh, with art school. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it wasn't. It, there was a moment. Okay, so here's what happens when you go to an art school or this art school in particular. Mm-hmm. You have to uh, put together a portfolio. Right, right. 
and you have to present it in a hallway with hundreds of other portfolios. Gotcha. And so is that like your thesis for the degree program, basically? Well, or not for it... the degree, for the to get in. Oh, to get in. To get okay, in. Okay. So when you're when you're like applying, you have to do a portfolio mm-hmm. uh, presentation, and they look at your portfolio, and that's a big part of how you get in. So I, my, I kind of like I knew my limitations, and I knew where it was good at, and what I wasn't. Right. And I had some good pieces of art to present, but nothing that really I thought was compelling. Like I was very mm-hmm. like critical of myself. So a true artist, <laughs> I, I guess. Yeah, I know. And so, uh, or true. Uh, well, I'll tell you in a minute. Self-deprecating, right? Yeah. yeah so <laughs> I, uh, but I realized that. So what I came up with the idea was that I was actually going to focus not on the art that I already had, mm-hmm. but on you basically get a corkboard and you're supposed to put your stuff on a corkboard. Uh-huh. So instead, I focused on making the corkboard amazing. Oh, and so I put this like this black felt, I think, and I like framed it and I did all this other stuff. And there was nothing but corkboard from one end of the hallway to another, hundreds of presentations. Okay. Uh-huh. And there's this one black That's one. That's black. And That's <laughs> brilliant. And with my mediocre artwork on it, and I got accepted. And I was like, oh, this is awesome, you know? Do you, do you feel like it's because you put the art on its ear, in a sense? Or because, uh, maybe, it, or was it not that? Was your art really just that? I think that, see, I think I'm more creative and I'm good at knowing what the boundaries are. Yeah. And once you give me that, so, and, and this, this leads into like my whole art experience. Like when I, when I went to art school, I, I started to quickly realize that I was not a true artist. Like mm-hmm. I watched my friends who toiled, like who not only really toiled over their projects. Like I would look at my project and be like, okay, these are the parameters. This is how I'm going to win it, right. you know, in a sense. And they were producing art every day outside of class, and I was like wow. hanging out smoking pot, right? You know, so which but listening so the to prolific, music, that prolific nature. Then I guess yeah. is that thing. Or like, did did it ever make you jealous, or just kind of made things pretty clear? Oh that, no, no, no! I had so much respect for the people yeah. who were really doing it. And then there was like there was there were those guys, and then there were the guys who were and gals who were incredibly motivated and driven were working so hard mm-hmm. every single day. And I remember I had one class where, I mean, I showed up maybe a handful of times and I showed up to the final, uh, the, the final project and I bullshitted my way through it. Right. And I got a B minus, which didn't exist. So I got a B. Oh, wow. He gave me a B minus. Cause he's just like, what he actually asked me, he's like, what grade do you think you deserve? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, C. And he was just like, you could deserve a B minus, which became a B. Yeah. Cause he rounded up. But then he only gave out uh, like six A's. So I ended okay. up into the majority of the class and then continued on. So that was kind of probably my first like, huh, this is kind of weird. Yeah. And then then after your sophomore year, you have to reapply. For the latter two years? You have to submit a new portfolio to, to make it back into the program okay. or to continue okay. the program. And uh, again, I didn't have any art that I had produced on my own. I had a bunch of stuff that I had done for projects. And mm-hmm. I had actually taken most of the critiques that I had had for my stuff right. and changed the entire reason why I did everything and presented it that way. Oh, wow. And uh, and I got back in. And after you I got did. back in, that's when I started to lose all <laughs> respect for the institution. And you're, uh, you're, Did you ever see the movie Art School Confidential? No, no. Okay, I haven't. okay. so it's a, it's a brilliant movie, really just about this experience. And I, gosh, it would be it'd spoil part of it. But ultimately, this cop is trying to infiltrate the art school community at this college because there's a serial killer on the loose and they think that the serial killer is one of the students. So the cop 
he just be, he plays parts. He's in the class all the time, and he makes artwork. And it's the equivalent of the quality of a seven year old making artwork. And there's like pictures of cars and construction paper and stuff like that. It's terrible. And he but thrives. He's a, he's a phenomenon. Oh yeah, 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 it's insane, right? And it's it's a wonderful way to look at it. But at the same time, I mean, I guess it's a larger conversation. But that's kind of the problem with art in a way. Like everybody does it, but not everybody really. Is, it's not part of them necessarily. Well, yeah, no, and it's, it, and that's, I think, the big thing. It's about perception and, and for being able to, it's about communication, too, yeah. for people to be able to understand and relate to art. Yeah. And, uh, you know, most, that's why they say the geniuses die before anyone understands them. Yeah. Scott Joplin, Popper's yeah. Grave, among <laughs> many, right? That's, exactly. It's insane. So you, you have this kind of realization that art is a piece of you, but not in that way. And then you leave college and where, where you go? Uh, well, I, I kind of continued, but I went back to, uh, I continued through actually communications. Oh, okay. Uh, and I was I fell in love with the idea of public relations. Oh, wonderful! And, Another ruse. Uh, it, <laughs> actually, I realized that I could bullshit people. Yes, that's so. Good. I was like, so I got one or two things I can do. I can either do public relations or I can bartend. But uh, <laughs> so I, which one's more honest? I guess is the question. But uh, I think bartending is more honest. I think so too. No, but um, yeah. So that was uh, I started following it, and then I. Uh, uh, I moved to New York mm-hmm. with uh, my my then girlfriend who worked for Tommy Hilfiger. Oh yeah, and were you, were you a Tommy Hilfiger guy, fashion wise, back there in the late nineties? Not necessarily. I got That's a lot of free clothes. I was more That's happier good. when she moved to Hugo Boss. Oh uh, yes, much better. Yeah, much I got better. some good leather jackets, some classy then. stuff. But um, yeah. But anyway, but they, uh, you know, what I what I what I really you know had more of a problem with was you know we'd go to parties and be around lots of you know, fashion people and PR mm-hmm. people. And, you know, granted, there, there are plenty of them that I absolutely adore. To this day, if mm-hmm. I saw them, I'd be excited. But the whole sort of that atmosphere oh, man. Drove, drove me insane. Actually, one of the guys that I met at one of those parties mm-hmm. um, has, has also, uh, just to tell the story real quick, and hopefully sure. he won't kill me for it. <laughs> but, um, you know, we were at this party and most of the, most of the boyfriends of the of the fashion PR guys were 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 bankers and mm-hmm. that that sort of Wall Street type. Yeah, yeah. exactly. A little bit more suits, gotcha. I would say. And so we kind of stood out, and we were in the corner, and we just started talking. And I said I was working at mm-hmm. a place called Pravda, and he was like, "Oh, I know, I know Pravda." I was like, "Yeah, we're doing like you know classic cocktails, but we're also doing like martinis and things like that." And you know, I was trained uh, right. by this guy Dale DeGroff, and he's oh, like, yeah. "And and this is like in '99 or '98." And he was like, you were trained by Dale DeGroff? And I was like, you know who Dale DeGroff is? Wow. <laughs> That's insane. You That's know? A, yeah. And in the late 90s, that nothing had hit yet. You know, oh. you can feel, I can, I can even just feel in this conversation that things are bubbling up. Things are about to change in that cocktail. And at culture. that time, Dale was at the Rainbow Room. So he was a yeah. very respected person in certain circles. And granted, he gave Madonna the Cosmopolitan right. to sum it up. But, um, you know, he had inspired me. And I was very, you know, I was driven by this like little fire. And, uh. And he was like, you know what? He's like, I'm, I want to get out of this thing. He's like, I got this like tech startup. He's like, I really want to start writing. Tech and I was startup. Like, Again. In the late 90s. That's where there's money right now. Yeah. It was still valuable. <laughs> so he, uh, he said to me, uh, he's like, I think I want to start writing about like food and drink. And he's like, can I, oh, wow. can I call you up and, and interview you? And I was like, cool. And so he called me up and he said, hey, I'm, I'm writing this story about highballs. Can I, can, I, can I interview you? He's like, I got a freelance gig for the Village Voice. I'm like, oh wow, cool, yeah, absolutely. So we did this little article. It was like, you know, probably like a little square mm-hmm. in in the article uh, in the in the paper. Sorry, in the Village Voice, 
And, uh, and I was so proud. It was the first time I'd ever That's been incredible. in print. Was that like, so in print, how long have you been in New York at that point? I'd been there for maybe a year. So that already half, within a year. a year and a half, you kind of have this this iconic publication that gives a shit I don't, about what you're saying. Well, I mean, I didn't think, you know, I didn't see it that way yeah. at that time. Like I was very, Well, obviously you know, I'm more egotistical now that I'm older. <laughs> but if it was in my 20s, it would have been different, you know. It was, but it was the relationship to this guy, you know, like we just, we just, we just talked and he came to the bar and I was very excited to see it in print. Well, obviously was the, yeah, it's so was great. the reward. Uh, like about six years later, I think, or five years later, uh, this guy came in and uh, when I was, I had helped open up uh, Schiller's liquor bar in, mm-hmm. in the uh, Lower East Side. And this guy came in and he's just like, oh man, I love your Manhattan and the story behind it. And I was telling him about the classic, this old classic Manhattan. And uh, he's like, I, I'm, he's like, listen, my, uh, my editor is going to be around tomorrow. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to bring him back. And I, are you going to be here? And I was like, yeah, I'll be oh, here. Wow. And so anyway, so, uh, this guy, his name is Andrew Knowlton. He's yeah, I know exactly. I, I was like, I wonder if that's Andrew Knowlton. Did he have that that awesome long hair? Yes, he did there? at yeah. that time. Yeah, he yeah, for man, sure. He's got a mane. He just cut that. Thing. I I don't even know him, but that I know. The mane, I know. I don't know why. Well, he showed up with his friend, who was Hugh Garvey, who oh. is who is the guy that I met at that party years ago. So I had done that article. Oh, I was that's crazy. I was his first. I was his first model. Ah, <laughs> that see. Now that's a good theme, right? You showed him your cock. I showed him my cock. Yeah, you're, you're and he still talked to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it was it, it's it's kind of a funny, uh, a little bit of a long run because uh, when I was moving to Austin, I got a phone call from him out of the blue. I hadn't oh, talked to him in so cool. years, and he said, "Hey, I'm working on a on an article about highballs. I want to know if you wanted to do the story with me." And Whoa. I was like, "What?" So I called him up. I called him back, and I was like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "He's like, I'm now the lifestyle editor of Playboy." Oh shit! <laughs> and I wanted to sort of follow my steps of of how I started. He's yeah. like, you know, he was very huge and influential in Bon Appetit mm-hmm. for for many years, and uh, so he wanted to recreate his career. So he's like, "I figured I'd start where I began." That's so, so cool. Doing an article Total about three, one or a three sixty rather. Yeah. So, yeah. When when you talk about Manhattan, obviously Dale did that tour. At least he did it in Austin, where it's kind of the simplicity, but the art of a Manhattan. So yes, it, again, you know Manhattan's classic, all of that. But do you think he had a hand in how you felt about that drink conceptually? Yeah, I mean Dale had his hand in everything, that, almost literally. I'm sure, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, he uh, there was uh, probably talking about a defining moment. Uh, he did a seminar. At Pravda, it was a retrain. I was mm. already, he had already trained up the staff. I was there for, I just come in for a couple months. We've been open for about a year and change mm-hmm. at that point. And uh, he put into my hands a 1929 copy of Bon Vivant's Companion, the oh, one wow. done by Asbury, which is like the recreation has all the history and everything. Yeah. It's got the julep sort of etching on the front. And I held it and all of a sudden I understood how long this has all been going on for. Yeah. You know, it's like you think... I mean, I don't know, but this is what I thought. My yeah, my yeah. whole conception of cocktails was the '60s. Sure, it was that Mad Men. Like it all started in the Mad Men era. Before that, there probably wasn't much. Yeah, yeah. You know, and maybe Prohibition. You know, maybe I thought about it, but not really. But um, I started to understand that this was a, a a craft that was handed down from apprentice to master. Mm-hmm. You know, through generations, and at some point, it got messed up. Sure. You know, some what, point. What ha- do you know? Really, what happened? I mean, was it? Gosh. 
dare I say, the introduction of vodka to like pop sensibility and, and people? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think Prohibition really fucked it up. Yeah. Yeah. Prohibition was the first one. And then when we get out of Prohibition, we get into, you know, the, the 40s and 50s and we start to see Tiki evolve. Mm-hmm. And Tiki, while it, you know, in some, if you ask some people, you know, Tiki might be the sort of the highest echelon of creativity. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in terms it's the of most colorful, at least. Yeah. If right. Nothing else. Uh, but in the background, besides the presentation, what was going into the cocktails was uh, became proprietary. People were very guarded. Ah. They 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 sort of pulled it in. There was that, and then also I think the other thing too was basically the the expansion of highways in America and mm-hmm. and the industrialization of food. You know, all of a sudden, oh, yeah, you know, point. you know, now you want to have you want to be able to have a drink in every city. Sure. You know, and it's like, okay, well, limes are this much or this much. Now it doesn't matter. We just make you yeah, a sour mix. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Okay. So everything starts to get reduced. And by the time we get past the, we get to the, I feel like we get to the sixties mm-hmm. and it still exists. And vodka was, yeah, obviously, you know, coming well, up. No, no, no hit on vodka, but it, it's got to make, it is kind of like the monkeys. Right, so you got the Beatles who are some gents really writing songs and they're really really feeling it, but then someone kind of catches on. Oh, this sells, but we have to make it even cleaner, cut, and more easy to digest, and that that's vodka. Although that, now you know, obviously it exists in Europe for centuries, but in the states it didn't seem like it had. Yeah, no, and but that and so that's where and, and Mad Men's a great example again. Yeah. I know I keep on no. Mad. We'll talk but, about John Hamm personally here in a moment, I'm sure. But you're right. But they uh, actually, I'm not that well versed in, in I, Mad Men. But, the, uh, but basically, what, what ended up to take over, uh, once you start having these industrialized products that are mm-hmm. available in every single bar across America, now you have marketing agencies being able to dictate what you can do with the spirits or what you should do with the spirits. Right, right. So, you know, it, it's, it's now they're creating the recipes, they're creating the identity, they're pushing, you know, what you should drink. You know more so than right. than culture is, and then you. I mean, not to mention that you have the counterculture, yeah. Which basically, you look at Mad Men. Mad Men's so sexy, and everyone's smoking cigarettes, and there's right. big like you know torpedo titties and things like that. <laughs> yeah. But at the end, but by the end of that that uh, decade, people are like, "Fuck my parents! I'm not going to drink what they drink. Yeah, I'm not going to do what they do. I'm going to smoke some pot. I'm going to check out." Yeah, it's totally different. Yeah. Well, what do you think? So, are you saying that Tiki was kind of the the counter revolution to that stuff? Or was there another another kind of evolution that happened that people were like, "I'm not going to be drinking martinis. I'm going to do. I'm going to drink bourbon." I think I think tiki was the last of the sort of classics, and mm-hmm. then it was also the downfall of the classics in gotcha. some ways. And uh, because you know, the no, brand stepped in, to your point, the marketing agencies. Yeah, yeah, they hom- were conf- uh, homo- homogenous. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, they they were able to dictate a little bit more, and you know, bars across America had a had a common back bar. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and big brands sort of ruled the earth right? Uh, for the most part. And you get into the 70s, and when you start to look at what was available in the 70s and early 80s and so forth, mm-hmm. when you talk about cocktails, they didn't exist the same way. My dad actually bartended up and through the 70s. Oh, very cool. And, is, that, uh, is that some of the spark from your father? <laughs> I, you know. Or is it... Is it, or is it my dad met my mom at a bar, so I guess I'm I'm actually <laughs> I'm actually like a, you know a product of the bar uh, indirectly. Absolutely a product. Yeah, of the yeah. Bar. So and I wonder if spawned bar- you know from the bar in some bizarre you know some yeah some bizarre way. Maybe it is. Maybe being a bartender is genetic. Yeah, you know, uh, we no. always you know we say that being a doctor is learned, but maybe that's genetic too. Yeah, you know I think it's cultural too. I think sure. that's a you know a huge part of it. I mean, not to go off on the tangent, but yeah, you know, um, 
I I grew up in a Greek American background. Yeah. My, my family was in restaurants uh, since I can remember. I mean, my, my earliest memories are hanging out with waitresses at a Howard Johnson's that my grandfather and my oh, that's crazy and my dad owned together. Where yeah. where did they own it in Jersey? They they did yeah. No, so it, my dad ran a Howard Johnson's as well. Oh really? Yeah. In the the where? I believe it was in Georgia though, so different market. Okay. I never I would have heard about it if it was in Jersey. Fried clams. Yeah, dude. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. my mom would always talk about it. She's like, Well, I don't eat much much of fried food anymore, but those fried clams were so good. Yeah. And we talk about that. The how the Hojo thing. The Hojo that's, thing. It's crazy. Yeah. But it was but it was part of your background that it was part of my background. It's my earliest memories. You know, my earliest memories were washing windows and being a part of the restaurant. That's so great. And then yeah. hanging out with waitresses, which explains all my, my love life. <laughs> You know, later on, trying to recapture Fleeting my childhood. And smoke. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's where you learn it, right? Uh, they do like parents. the paper snakes, you know, like roll up the straw and then oh, put yeah. water on it. It would grow. You're like, wow. This is amazing. That's amazing. Well, it's a pretty big journey. So going back to the moving into New York, and obviously you took to cocktailing as a verb very well. I mean, what was that first gig like? That one that, that said, I think I'm inspired by this. Yeah, well, you know, I had already, I had already been uh, culinarily. I, yeah. I, I was already into food, and so when when that kind of came across, it was almost a way to do what I couldn't do with food. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and actually, uh, one of my one of my best friends opened up a martini bar, and actually, this is kind of a most bizarre story. I, I'm, I'm surrounded. Yeah, I'm surrounded by fate. Everything that's happened to me has Aren't been very fortunate. Yeah. So I, uh, I helped my, one of my best friends in New Brunswick, New Jersey, where mm-hmm. I went to school. Right. Uh, I helped him set up a martini menu very lightly. Like we just traded ideas back and forth. Yeah. And, uh, he opened up this place called Clyde's in New Brunswick, New Jersey. It still exists. Very cool. Is he still there? Uh, no, he's not still there. Okay. okay. No, no. But, um, uh, so when I moved to New York, I was, I had, I had even, uh, previously tried to do my own little, like, like individual cocktail menu for my regulars be like, Hey, here's what I'm going to do tonight. Yeah. Kind of thing. And it was with like some of the vodkas that were coming in. Sure. So what was, was coming in at that time? Just curious. Uh, Chopin, Belvedere. Okay. Pre gotcha. Grey Goose. Got it. Got it. So got it was like, the I Polish think first stuff. Yeah. So what was happening right then was for me, it was, uh, on the, the vodka side was kettle one, Belvedere, Chopin, whiskeys were maker's mark. And then all the, the like the classic single malts were coming yeah, out at yeah. that time. Um, so those were some of the pretty big, you think about that. That's a pretty big moment of how it's influenced the vernacular even now. It's it's without a doubt. Yeah. But so, you know, once I, when I moved to New York, I, uh, was trying to find a a good gig and it it hadn't worked out for me for a couple of reasons. So I called my buddy up the one that I made that martini menu with. Yeah. Yeah. And so he had a cocktail book and he opened it up and he goes, check out these places. And he was like, uh, Lennox, Lennox lounge. And, uh, Rainbow Room yeah. and, and whatever else, and then the other one was two two eighty one Lafayette Pravda, mm-hmm. and I said okay, and I closed it. Or I hung up the phone with him, sorry, and then I opened mm-hmm. up the New York Times, looking in the the Help Wanted section, oh. and I saw two eighty one Lafayette, and I was like, looked back at my notes, and I'm like, holy oh, wow. shit, serendipity. Yeah. yeah, so I went there, and I went there early. Uh, I was fifteen minutes early, and I walked in the place. And when I walked in the door, I saw a guy, he almost looked like he was homeless. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he was uh, trying to maneuver a hand truck full of cases through a small doorway, mm-hmm. a narrow doorway. And so uh, I gave him a hand and like kind of helped him through. And mm-hmm. then he thanked me and he kind of went off. And then Very they nice started. Of you. Yeah. 
I guess, you know. Nice guy, nice guy, true and true, right? They started the open call, which, you know, was like, it was like a cattle call. It was like... (sighs) How many people? Lots of people? Hundreds. Oh, my God. At that point, see, I didn't even know what Pravda was. Yeah. At that point, Pravda was the hottest spot in New York. Oh, wow. And uh, when I sit down for my interview, I'm sitting in front of the general manager Mm. and the homeless guy who is... Peter McNally, Keith McNally's brother, the owner of oh, wow. you know all these New York restaurants, yeah. and so uh, they asked me to stay and to meet Keith, and uh, I do, and everyone starts leaving. I'm watching hundreds of people go away, and I'm are like, they just shooing them off? Like yeah, and I'm yeah. like, I think I got the job, wow. you know. So I'm just sitting there. I didn't have a cell phone then. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just sitting there waiting, and you know, I did wanted to call my girlfriend. In fact, uh, they told me at the end that I had the job and that I was going to start training and. Do you think, how much do you think it had to do with just the fact that you're willing to help anybody for whatever reason, which th- is really the crux, right, of hospitality? Yeah, I mean, I think that was a good factor, for sure. Yeah. They were also uh, looking for people without experience, which was the opposite of every other New York place. Wow, so they could, ma- that you'd be they malleable? They mold me, yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Wow. Well, they wanted to put me through uh, Dale's training, and they, they knew that, you know, somebody who was already jaded or had their own sure. opinions on things would not... When, I mean, I'd be willing to do anything, you know, yeah, for the most amazing. part to learn. And, uh, yes, I kind of fell into it. And that's, uh, and that was the be- the beginning of, of my journey into cocktails, which was followed by, uh, a, a mass, I say a mass exodus, mm-hmm. but they, uh, Pravda had a huge turnover. They essentially fired the entire bar staff. Why? Except for, uh, you know, I political don't... stuff, I'm sure. Personalities. There Drinking was... and personalities, wonderful combination, often leads to uh, What I heard was that they were too comfortable. There was also a pending lawsuit from somebody who had been fired. I see. I don't know the real sure, reason, sure. and I never will. Yeah. And But yeah. imagine it's it's a great launching point to the next thing for you. Well, and so what happened was they fired everybody except for me and Igor, ah. who's my partner at Employees at Only. Employees Only, yeah. And uh, they hired two bartenders to replace the other guy, the other two guys. And we now became the senior guys. And uh, one of the guys was, you know, as I had, had once <laughs> said in the beginning, was mm-hmm. the most arrogant son of a bitch I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Which Patrick is... Stewart. <laughs> no, close, he would, he would... no, it's another bald guy. Ah, okay, good, good. <laughs> Dushan Zarich, which is my partner in, in everything. Everything, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, he is, my, he is my, my life my life mate, my work wife, whatever you want right. to call it. Um, <laughs> we, we are very, very, we're extremely different people. Uh-huh. And you have a beard and he has no hair in anywhere. I think yeah, well, at that time, I think I was clean shaven. Oh, wow. Yeah. This was a long time ago. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he, uh, we, we kind of found this commonality. Like we arrived at the same decision mm-hmm. uh, from very different angles. So we had this kind of kinship. And I had, uh, at that point, kind of realized that I was learning stuff or retaining stuff that I didn't feel was out anywhere in any kind of uh, book or anything. So I started writing down my ideas and right. I was like, I want to write a cocktail book. That's what, that's what's driving me now. So well, yeah, absolutely. Almost giving back, right? You were inspired by a cocktail book in some sense. Wanted to pay it forward in a way. Yeah. And I wanted to be able to verbalize what was going on in my brain. I yeah. wanted to take it out of my head and put it into the world. Sure. And you could illustrate it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which is <great. laughs> Well, you know, a little dry. But, uh, <laughs> So, yeah, it was funny. I was sitting, we had a little espresso machine that was behind the bar, and I was having an espresso, and Dushan came up to me. He calls everybody Poppy, by the way. Does he? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is he's, he? Is he uh, he's Serbian. Okay. He's Serbian, but, you know, he hanging out in New York kitchens, you're just like, Poppy. everyone's yeah, Poppy. Absolutely. So he just turned to me, he was like, hey, Poppy, listen. He's like, <laughs> I started writing a cocktail book, and I wanted to know if you wanted to write it with me. But, 
Is this after or before? This is after I'd already started taking all these Are notes. Are you kidding me? And so I looked at him and I was like, I already started writing it. Did, did you accuse him of ripping you off? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, so we came up with all these harebrained schemes. And this is like, this is more, this is what I call my Cosmo Kramer nice, era. Nice. You know, uh, everything was like a coffee table book about yeah. coffee tables. That Which is brilliant. into a coffee totally table. Totally brilliant. And uh, yeah, so we, we had all these harebrained schemes. And uh, all this writing that we were doing actually led us into creating... Uh, a, a small company called Cocktail Conceptions. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a consulting company that was, I don't even know, I think we had to legitimize it when we got hired by, oh, who was it? Absolute, maybe. So but, like turn it, fill out the paperwork to make it a legit company. Yeah, well, we had to actually get file an LLC. Like we in, actually in New York. make it into a company. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it, it started off like I would get hired to do like drink styling mm-hmm. and he would get hired to do a cocktail menu. And we were getting all these little gigs back and forth or hired to do a party or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. So the creative just, consultants in a sense, right? Yeah, but it was all individual and very mercenary. Yeah. So we just looked at each other like, why don't we do this together and like turn it into something real? Oh, wow. And so we formed Cocktail Conceptions. And we uh, at that time, we were doing a lot of work for Ally Demek, who's now defunct. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was like Beefeater, Cuvassier, and uh, Mer- Perry Jouet, all these different... Wow. Lots you know, of huge brands. Yeah, no, no, huge. they were huge brands, and uh, and then it developed into marketing for them, and and brand outreach, and all this other kind Did of you, stuff. Did uh, you? How how big was the staff, or was it always just you two? It was always just the two of us. Wow, we had talked about lot. bringing on other people, just never. We were never, you know, able to do that for right, for, right. for logistic reasons. But uh, another, so another thing was, uh, we uh, indirectly. Did the original cocktails at Schiller's Liquor Bar? Oh wow! In yeah. in New York, so Duchamp was hired to be sort of like the the guy to create the bar. So mm-hmm. he like most the build, the build out and the aesthetic and that kind of piece of it, or the, the, the no program. the actual the cocktails. Got yeah, it, yeah. Got it. Okay. So it was Dale's training and Duchamp's cocktails for the most part, but we worked on the cocktails together. He did most of the work. I yeah. won't won't try to take it um, by any means, but uh, we put it together, and uh, and that's right after that's when we got hired by Absolute, and we actually had a form. An LLC because actually we had a check. Yeah, so that we, we couldn't cash exactly who they paid. You, you, <laughs> they paid cocktail conceptions, yeah. and we could not. So we're like, we better form a company now. <laughs> Before and like, the check expires. Oh, it, no, and the bank was like, we need to come to your house and see what you have because, you what? know, well, the, because they didn't believe it was a legitimate business. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So Unless you, like, without the paperwork, in other words, right? Well, or even fought, with the paperwork. With the paperwork, they no. still didn't believe it. No, what? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's Brooklyn, New York. That's true. Very true. So, uh, you know, it could be a drug front. Well, <laughs> alcoholic drug. But, um, yeah. Same, so, same difference, of course. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, here's one of those serendipitous things as well. So, my, uh, we, we decided to form this company. We actually just bought an answering machine, too. Mm. Again, dating ourselves. Very, very good. Yeah. And uh, so, we have this answering machine, and uh, my we have my partner Igor's girlfriend, who has a very sultry voice, mm-hmm. record the message for oh, us. Oh, to make it legit. Oh, no, yeah, no, now we're wow, legit, you know? So and so legit. we changed yeah. apartment two to suite two, you know? <laughs> so it was that kind of thing. And it was, and she was like, hello, you've reached Cocktail Conceptions. Please leave your name and number after the beat. Thank you. That's brilliant, though. So, so you know what? If for anybody that's an entrepreneur listening, sultry voice uh-huh. and yeah. semantics. It, oh, it's, it's all semantics. semantics. Yeah. But here's what happens, though. We leave the message, we record the message, we mm-hmm. get a final, and the phone rings. Immediately. Immediately, right? And so we're sitting there, we're like, oh, let the answering machine pick it up. <laughs> like, we figured it was one of our friends. No one really had our number. Right. You know, like, we hadn't given the number out to anyone. And so the phone rings, and we're listening, and like, it picks up, and it's like, you know, hello, you've reached Cocktail Conceptions, right? And all of a sudden, it's like, you guys are all beep. smiling. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like, uh, 
Hi, this is Bill Hamilton from the New York Times. <laughs> uh, I was calling to t- ask you some questions about Schiller's Liquor Bar, but I'm actually more curious about this cocktail conceptions oh, thing. Please wow. give me a call back at blah, 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 blah. That's incredible. Five, five, five. Yeah. Yeah. And so next thing you know, we had an article in the New York Times. And How the, long did that take before the article? Uh, sorry, from answering machine to article. Uh, it was like in about a couple weeks. That is insane. Yeah. <laughs> so it proven results, salt your voice. On a voicemail now, a voicemail inbox. That's a br- brilliant. Right? That's crazy. How did he hear about you guys? Uh, he, well, he had gotten in contact from Schiller's. Oh, okay. So they said, oh, here's the guys that created the menu. Talk to them. But there's something bigger going on here. That's what he was interested in. Yeah. After hearing that, he wanted to know more. And then so he became someone who was actually uh, a very huge advocate for what we were doing, mm-hmm. uh, kind of getting out there in the world. And when we opened up employees only, you know, that, that, that goodwill was also... That's reflected. Crazy. So just the the momentum kept building this creativity that was inert in your or rather just that you had you you always had kind of transferred from drawing transferred to PR probably short lived we didn't talk about it but I imagine <laughs> not very long but then oh, into well, the the cocktail piece which is true creativity I mean getting to use your hands just like drawing but getting to think and express your voice creatively but with your culinary background which is a very, very different and unique thing. But actually what was cool about cocktails, it, act, it it gave me the opportunity to do what I didn't do in art school. In art school, like you draw something 100,000 times over and over again so yeah. you can be a better artist and you can draw like a five-year-old like we were talking <laughs> right. about before, you know? <laughs> or a wiener. Yeah, depending, exactly. Depending, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's and cocktails are the same thing. It's about repetition. Like I have a, you know, I have a, an opinion about, you know, cocktails as artistry mm-hmm. or as craftsmanship. And do they, know, those ever blur? I mean, because you can have both, right? You can definitely have both. But I think that when you're talking in terms of a bar, mm-hmm. the artist aspect of it leads a bar uh-huh. and the craftsmanship follows it. I see. You know, because you can't, you know, if uh, if everybody is the artist, oh, then you geez, don't. Nothing's going to get done. Yeah. Which is uh, which has been the biggest problem with bartenders yeah. for, for a generation because everybody puts their own spin on what's available yeah yeah it's like the drummers leaving the band to start a new project but (laughs) i mean they always leave right it's just it's that that inner turmoil that's why are you are you are you uh are you making fun of foo fighters right now i am not making fun of well no i love dave Grohl. (laughs) i love dave Grohl. i I, I would i would hang out with dave Grohl in a heartbeat yeah there'd be no problem no it's i think that's a really important point to drive home and that you have to have the vision and the creative vision but you have to be able to reproduce it the same way every time because that's where quality comes from. Well, exactly. Yeah. Like if you're talking about, like think about, I always use the example or the metaphor, is it a metaphor? Of, of, <laughs> of, uh, of basically like a, a woodworker or a carpenter, I guess carpenter is the right word. Right. Right. So um, let's say you're, the studio is going to produce a huge like armoire, mm-hmm. you know, or something like that. Or, uh, you know, it, it takes one person to have the vision right. and then everybody to copy the style or to, to create in the same style is yeah. really what it's about. To learn from the master, follow Ikea, their direction. Yeah, right? It, it really is. Well, or, or how about the Sistine Chapel, right? Okay, you something know? more slightly more beautiful, yeah. yes. <laughs> well, that's what they say. It's like, you know, Raphael was, you know, uh-huh. was, was one of the biggest artists in the Sistine Chapel, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So he was the, the craftsman of it, you know, where Michelangelo was the artist. Or, yeah. In a sense. So that balance, did you did you ever find that that caused a lot of problems with you and maybe your, 
it seems like employees only has a, just like the creme de la creme of, of creativity and people that are, are really brilliant minds. But did you find in your career that there were a lot of those riffs where the creative types really were bullheaded and they didn't want to just do the thing they have to do and repeat it? Well, you know, but not see employees only wasn't like that at all because of the way that we we kicked it off and the way that we started. We worked there. Like yeah. it was oh, right, right. You know, it was we were the only bartenders and our barbacks later on got a, got dubbed apprentices because we had promised that they would become bartenders no matter yeah. no matter who they were even using the terminology of a master yeah. woodworker i mean i'm sure that was not not by accident i it, no it wasn't by accident we we made the conscious choice after a certain point it was and uh and it was to to show everybody who worked for us that mm. they were working for us because we believed in them not because you know they were. I'll give you the best example. The sure. first guy that we hired as a uh, as a barback apprentice mm-hmm. was a uh, you know a short young Mexican kid from Oaxaca, mm. and he uh, you know was like the son of a fisherman basically, and uh-huh. had moved to America, and he bust tables at this one place that we at, at this one place that we worked at together, mm-hmm. and uh, I had a night on a Sunday night where the the printers. Like, sorry, uh, it was like one of those uh, Sunday nights before like a holiday. Yeah. Oh, was, yeah, like yeah. we had yesterday or right. Yeah. Before. Yeah. The real holiday of Columbus Day. I know. Right. So um, <laughs> uh, I was I was completely fucked. We hadn't staffed up for it. Right. And so he jumped behind the bar and started making the drinks. And I watched him. We wow. free poured, too. Yeah, yeah. And I had never showed him any of the drinks. I never. That's incredible. And he knew, like, he was watching all that time. So he was counting, he was watching, yeah. he was watching the pours, everything. And he started making one of the hardest drinks. It's not a hard drink, it's a very simple drink, but it's hard to get right, right. kind of drink. And he nailed it. And I was just like, holy shit. So I talked to the the uh, the owner. I was like, we really need to make him a bar back. And she's like, no, he doesn't really have the right look. No, no. That, see, that's, hor- that's horrible. Totally and horrible. so, uh, yeah, when we were going on to open up employees only, uh, one of the previous bars had said, had sort of cornered him mm-hmm. and said, I know you're going with those guys. And were they, they were really pissed about it. Oh, they were. Yeah. They were trying to do anything to fuck us. I uh, got gotcha. you. And uh, so they the said, <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it works. <laughs> right? okay. uh, so they said, uh, they said, we're going to make you a bartender. And so he was just like, okay. So he came back to us. And he's like, okay, I didn't crack. I didn't tell him I'm going with you guys, yeah. but they're telling me they're going to make you a bar. They're going to make me a bartender. Right, right. And uh, he had just had a kid too. And I just said to him, I was like, listen, man, you know, I respect you and I love you. Like we, we have to. Like we're not paying ourselves salaries. Like right. we have to work behind the bar. Like I can't promise that it'll be a year or two years. Like we have to pay back investors and all this other yeah. stuff. But I promise you that if you come with us, you'll be treated with respect and dignity. Yeah. And he uh, called me back and he said, I talked to my wife. She thinks I'm stupid, but <laughs> I'm going to do it. That's, that's beautiful. That's symbolic. Yeah. Because briefly, like that's how businesses work when they're starting out. You have oh, a vision, dude, and you got to just, it's going to be the best experience of your life, but you might not make the same amount of money you would just going down to Whataburger. Right. You know, be like, but the, then he made more money as as a exactly. barback than he made as a bartender. Exactly, would have yeah. made as a bartender because there. you believe in you. You, it's that yeah. that investment that you put in someone else's vision. I mean, it's a it's a beautiful thing about cultivating a culture. No, absolutely, and and, and actually, in under nine months, he became a bartender there. Oh, that's proper. Great. What is it? What what's the normal time frame for an apprentice to? 
become a bartender? Well, it is. So after that, then we had other people who wanted to be bartenders there. Mm -hmm. They were coming out. So like they saw the place. It was like exciting. They want to be a part of it. So right. we had bartenders that were willing to become apprentices. Wow. Just to, to do it. And at some point, and it was actually right before, uh, right before Steve started and, and dev, mm -hmm. uh, where he said, it's going to be at least a year and a half to two years before you get a jacket. Wow. And that's really where it became formalized. So the, like it being an apprenticeship program that's the program. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't like, we didn't create it out of the blue. Like we didn't, it like it evolved and yeah. it developed. It became it, uh, self-evident yeah. over time that this is the amount of time. It's the sweet spot for all that. Exactly. And, and interestingly enough, and I've never worked. So I understand spirits and I, I understand production and the marketing and all that, but I've never legally been allowed to work behind a bar, which is a problem in Texas, you know, it sucks. Sure. But your model I've noticed is a model for so many places, right? It's a classic uh, cobbler model, even in a sense, right? The master teaches the apprentice and the apprentice becomes the master and that is a lost a, a lost dynamic everybody really wants to be as big as possible as quick as possible and you what do we learn then you know what kinds of things can be really passed down when they're everything is merely of the moment there's no history sure to cocktail it's a problem right well, it's it's actually it, you know, and I'm finding out as I'm you know outside the bar and in, in the more in the business world. Yeah, you know, everyone's oh. gonna. How many times do you hear the word millennials? Oh God, is the is like the new the new thing. That's horrible. Yeah. Well, and and, and job stability is not based on the actual employer anymore. It's based now on the retention of employment because people are just bouncing from job to job. Yeah, like that's you a great said, point. They want the next. They want something to happen to them right. quickly, you know? Yeah, which doesn't, it does happen for some people, but that's, gosh, I think it's a perfect transition to say that's how spirits have kind of become. The spirits market just in general has become so congested with people looking to make it big quick without really understanding the ramifications to the market completely. So when you guys formed the 86 company, which was how many years ago now? Uh, well, <laughs> the, uh, the, we the start, first bottle shit. When we so started talking, when we yeah. actually started working on it, was over seven years ago. Wow. Okay. Um, but we launched three years ago. God, and so you guys, I think, just celebrated the three-year anniversary or something like that, right? Yeah, three years ago. Uh, well, three years ago in June was when we got the first bottle shipped to um, to Dallas, Texas. Oh yeah, because yeah. you were you living, you were living up in Dallas, yeah, I was living right? there. Yeah. And actually, and oddly enough, uh, Omar Yifun was running a place called, who's uh, a great bartender, mm -hmm. uh, was running a place called. Uh, uh, the People's Last Stand up I've there. That yeah, I haven't been up there, but I've heard of it. Yeah, a, a great, great place. Well, definitely, you know, when it was under his his guidance, it was, mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it, it was one of my favorite times. Um, but he was the first person to order uh, any of our 86 products. Oh, that's amazing. You know, Aylesbury Duck and Kanye Brava. Yeah. And he was also the first full-time employee that we hired oh, for the 86 wow. company two years later. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. it's it's a It's a great feeling to expand the staff. You know, I mean, that's like... As you, you know, by your own merit, your own business, we have to bring on more people. But you guys have a really amazing portfolio of spirits. And you obviously wanted to bring some kind of unique vision to what was an, an immensely congested. Now, you guys kind of started before I think it was getting really, really bad. I mean, you've got like, there are about 20 vodkas that come out a month out of Texas alone. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's insane. So what, what did you feel like? was your unique 
vision you brought to the whole the whole thing, the whole market? I mean, ultimately it came down to the simplicity of a premium well. It was right, right. it was, you know, we didn't want to invent a new flavor of gin. We didn't want to, you know, create a uh new expression of tequila. I mean, you know, yeah. it, w- it was one of those things that uh, when we started to sit down and think about it, you know, my, when you, when you pull back a little bit, now I can look at it in hindsight, but yeah. you know, my whole thing from when I talked about the cocktail book, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, that, that driven uh, uh, feeling to bring this to other people. Right. The whole idea was to make cocktails more accessible to everybody. Cause yeah. it just to me seemed like such a simple thing something that everybody deserves a good drink. Absolutely. You know, and it's not that hard to give people a good drink. No, it really isn't. And as long as you can learn about it, so long as you want to make a good drink, it's very easy. (laughs) Yes. And so that's what I wanted to to convey. And, uh, but you know, when we start talking about these spirits, like we just wanted to make them quintessential. The idea became about this sort of like premium. Well, yeah. You know, um, and all made in very traditional styles, but also each one, was formulated with the, the cocktail being the end result. So right, it's right. not the bottle that's the finished product. It's when it's mixed that it is. So we right. made we made clear like choices. The first, uh, I would say, choice that was probably a defining moment for us mm-hmm. was um, when we did rum. And rum came back, and we loved the, the, the nose on it. It tasted yeah. great out of the bottle. We gave some samples to people. One of them was uh, actually Audrey Saunders from Pegu Club. Yeah, yeah. And we almost gave it to her so that we could hear how wonderful it was. <laughs> and uh, she came back and she was just like, I'm not crazy about it. Yeah. And we're like, that's the what? almost the worst. We're like, right? what? Like, what are you talking about? It's amazing. And she's like, no, 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 hear me out. She's like, it smells great in the bottle. Uh-huh. And it was at 80 proof at that time. Okay. She's like, but it does not pop in my daiquiri and I would not use it for a daiquiri. Gotcha. And so we were like the oh, baseline, okay. right? Because daiquiri is the way you calibrate. That's the moment. That's the the sun of the solar system. You calibrate from that, yeah. right? Well, actually, we had done more than that. Like, actually, we can get to the the geekery of it. Yeah, it yeah. gets it, it. The the pro actually, Connie Bravo is probably my favorite story because uh, that was one. It's almost like cocktail archaeology. Yeah, uh, we started off with this idea of asking bartenders what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, I think I expected or anticipated getting something along the lines of like what Banks rum is, mm-hmm. which is a blend of like Agricole and Jamaican right, and right. Puerto Rican or I forget, it's not Puerto Rican, I forget which one, but like a Spanish style. So yeah. you have this like, you're basically taking all the different rum styles and creating into one light style rum. Right, right. Uh, so that should be the medium for everyone, right? Because it's the sum of all. It seems like on paper, or the that average would make of sense. all, the average of all, yeah. absolutely, yeah, yeah. And uh, so we started putting it out, putting out feelers, and seeing what people wanted. And agriculture was starting to get really big mm-hmm. at that point. So I was, I was almost fully expecting us to to get into that game. Um, but we we wanted to be got. I knew what I wanted, mm-hmm. and which was Havana Club. And right. oddly enough, <laughs> who doesn't want Havana Club? Well, and that's what came out is like every single person came out and they were like, we want Havana Club. We want True Carta Blanca. We want yeah. Cuban style rums. And we're like, so why? Like, cause now we have to ask why, like, yeah, what, we what? agree with you, but why? Like, cause we want to know. And they're like, well, that's the original daiquiri rum. Simple oh. as that. And we're like, okay. Purists in a sense. Well, I, yeah. I mean, kind of right. Or like, maybe practical. Any, well, it is, you know, that's a good point too. I mean, it, yeah. it is absolutely practical. It's also Hemingway drank it. 
yeah the barometer <laughs> of all all alcoholic beverages you know oh without a doubt. Yeah. so so the next the next stage of the the evolution was uh actually simon happened to go to london to work on gin mm-hmm. and uh he went to the savoy hotel and uh the savoy has i think it's called the craddock library uh-huh yeah 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 craddock. Like, harry craddock i guess yeah right? harry yeah. craddock who was the the head bartender from the uh during prohibition mm-hmm. who really put the american bar at savoy on the map um they have a collection of of uh old spirits they have a library of antique spirits there so simon as (laughs) simon does uh ordered up uh, a bunch of daiquiris with rums from the 20s and 30s (laughs) just to see what they tasted and they they were fine with that they were totally fine that's amazing yeah and uh and and actually uh eric lorenz the the head bartender there was Mm -hmm. was more than happy to to help us out with it that's incredible uh and it was it was it was an exploration you know and like we sat there and all of a sudden this this consensus happened with it was like you know, we really haven't had a true daiquiri in this country in a very, very long time. Right, right. And so, um, you know, that that true style of rum making is kind of almost lost to history. I think you're right. I definitely so, do. So, so what? When you first heard that, then it's like, ah, uh, it's not my favorite. Where do you where do you go then to, to oh, tweak? Oh, with that? Yeah, where do you tweak? Okay. Well, so at, by that stage. Uh, you know, we had this beautiful rum. It's made in the classic Cuban tradition. Now yeah. we're being told that it's, you know, subpar for Which cocktails. Which is almost ironic. Yeah. We're giving you what you want, and you're telling us that you don't want what you told us that you like, wanted. Maybe that's why it doesn't exist. That's right. But then we started playing with, we were like, okay, well, if it doesn't pop, what does that mean? So right. it's the, the aromatics are not rising above the lime and the sugar. Right. So yeah. we started playing with proof. And we did every proof from 80 to 90. And by coincidence with our company name, we ended up at 86 proof. That's perfect. Yeah. For rum. And we tasted the rum straight and we're like, this is never going to win a competition. Right. It's too hot. It's probably right. It's just not round enough. Like yeah. at 80, it was beautiful and round, like right. a delicate spirit. I mean, you know how much a drop of water will completely it change it. it all. Like even yeah. like, I mean, some, uh, you know, people, people out there listening right now. <laughs> uh, one of the most amazing things is I've had spirits that are, lower in proof that taste hotter yes absolutely and then when you raise the proof on them they taste milder i mean you just never totally counterintuitive and then if you work with agave it's different than sugar that's different from grain it's totally a fucking crapshoot really every which way so but you guys found because i found that too when when we're proofing stuff that well if you want it for a cocktail which is the the whole point which is a great idea you always have to just Somehow the alcohol has to overcome and punch through. And citrus is a hard one to combat with a low proof alcohol because it's a, a higher ratio of water, you know. So well, I like to call it the the, the it's uh, the philosophy of concentrated evil. Yes. Do you remember Time Bandits? I do. Terry Gilliam. Yeah. Do you I remember at, at the end he's like, "Mom, Dad, don't touch it. It's evil." I don't, but that really makes me sad. <laughs> I, B- Billy Barty, I remember like all the yeah. details, all of it, but no. yeah, no, but uh, but so the idea of uh, that I have for cocktails and concentrated evil is that booze is concentrated evil. Oh yeah, it is the essence of things by definition or by you know its origin, origin of the name. Yeah, and it is uh, it, for something to to go into it and to stand up to it, it has to be as evil that's a good point you know and so citrus when i talk about citrus when i when i say citrus i usually mean lemon or lime yeah because orange orange juice is not evil totally. enough no yeah, there's grapefruit oddly enough grapefruit's very mild depending it's not yeah it's got a lot of bitterness but yeah. it doesn't have the body right and so you need for me for grapefruit i need a little bit of lemon or lime to 
totally. pull it up. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so even when I make uh, syrups and things like that, I make them pure evil. Like they're <laughs> intense and, you know. I, they are not apolog- unapologetically what they are. Yeah, exactly. Which is what you want anyway. For sure. Absolutely. And even, even one of my good friends, I remember uh, a guy, uh, I don't know if you, you know Willie Shine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, amazing, amazing bartender and an old, old friend of mine. Uh, he was uh, talking to me one time about being in Aspen and making drinks with bartenders. I'm uh, mm-hmm. sorry, with, with chefs. Okay. Oh, and he geez. was in a, in a house with chefs and everyone was making drinks. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, well, how were the drinks? He goes, they were awful. awful. Yes. They were horrendous. And and kind of like in working with chefs in the past, and I'm not, trust me, I'm not bashing chefs. Chefs are I great love for you. cooking. I love you guys. But the but the philosophy is uh, is a little bit skewed only because... What he what what we kind of determined was that every ingredient that went into the drink mm-hmm. was delicate and pure, but it wasn't evil. Right, right. You know, and you need evil, you, and you got to wrangle the evil with another opposing evil. Yeah, that's why Star Wars works. Exactly. <laughs> it's very full circle. Bring no, it that, full it, circle. It, no, but it's it's totally totally you're totally right. I you want things to be what they are. You want citrus to be citrus. It's an acid. You want it to be an acid. You want a spirit to be a spirit. So if you add too much water, you know, even on the paper, it's kind of becoming less and less a spirit. And again, you know, I, I you got to have that balance of the, those things. And I think it's uh, very important to note in cocktails that things just, ha- you got to le- let them be what they're going to be. You can, sure. can you imagine telling John, John Lennon, like, well, uh, you shouldn't sing so loud fuck off right like that's never gonna happen you have to have him be what he's gonna be for everything to work so going back to the portfolio of the spirits you guys have the Conabrava rum the cabeza tequila ford's gin mm-hmm. and then Alsberry duck right for yeah, the vodka Alsberry duck vodka market research that's what i do all day <laughs> no. what what's the spirit that the journey to get there what was your favorite one to construct well, I think that was, they all they all have their own yeah their own vision. But uh, you know, Kanye Bravo again was the one. So you know, even even during that time, coming back from the Savoy Hotel mm-hmm. and bringing back that idea, we went to some a few American distilleries, uh, like you said, like the small craft sure. distilleries who who probably didn't know what they were doing yet. So yeah. we're like, okay, you know, not put out not a right. demo. Hopefully, we get signed. Yeah. yeah, and then we went to uh, the Caribbean. We went to uh, we got samples, especially from the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. I think I think there was a total of nineteen distilleries that we looked at. That's crazy to try to find somebody who would make Cuban style Carta Blanca rum. Yeah, and nobody either knew how to do it, wanted to do it, had the equipment to do it. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, I guess the equipment is probably not not true, but the uh, there, there wasn't the will to do sure, it. Sure. Sure. And we got turned on to uh, a gentleman, Don Pancho Fernandez. Mm-hmm. And uh, we heard about him. And uh, my one partner went to, he was in Miami and went there and he said, yeah, he was the, uh, he was the master stiller of Havana Club, I think. And I'm like, oh, holy shit. Poach this guy. <laughs> you were like, so, and we're like, okay, well, where is he? He's in Panama. Okay. So we told him, we're like, we mm. want to do Carta Blanca style rum. And he's like, I don't want to do anything younger than six years. Wonderful. And we're like, fuck. So we well, said, we got to beat a market in uh, 12 <laughs> months. What are you talking about? Uh, well, we didn't have those restrictions yeah. back then, but we, uh, so we sent Dushan down pretty much with a, I would say a no, 
it's debatable now, but it was a no on doing a light style rum. Duchamp went down to uh, Las Cabras Distillery mm-hmm. in Panama, and uh, he started talking to Don Pancho, and uh-huh. Don Pancho is a very charismatic man. He's he's entertained dignitaries from all over the yeah. world. He was the minister of rum for Cuba. Oh, that's incredible. The how real is uh, how old? How old is he? He's in his seventies. Oh, so he's got. Plenty of great stories. Oh, I can't yeah. He won't I share can't. them though. He no, to, really. You have to get to That's know the him. Worst. You have to get to know him, and then he'll he'll start open up slowly. Yes, very very slowly. But um, but he's I mean he's you know one of the most amazing rum makers in the world. Yeah, and uh, and probably one of the last people to carry on. We talk about apprentice mm-hmm. to master. He's one of the last few people uh, outside of Cuba that has the knowledge of that classic style of yeah. rum making. It's incredible. It it's tremendous, and so um, Duchamp went down there, and they were talking, and they were arguing, debating, and you know, kind of as the, uh, Duchamp's also very much an alpha male as I, well, yeah, and and Don Pancho is too, and and you know, how did that work? It's electric. Oh, you know, it's it's very loud well, conversations, yes, you right. know, very animated and everything else, hearty handshakes, it, yeah, <laughs> and so uh, they were talking back and forth. Duchamp said, "You don't understand. We need this." He's like, "We need this as a tool," and Don Pancho just kind of looked wow. at him and said. Tool. What do you mean by tool? Oh, and all of a sudden it resonated with him, and he said, he "said like, we cannot make drinks the way that we need to because we don't have the right tool. ingredient." Wow. And this is like we want to make this where it's going to affect the cocktail a certain way, and even you know based on the old way of making rum. And he said, "Hold on a minute," and he went out to his like laboratory or whatever. He sure. came back with some some almost clear rums mm-hmm. and said, "Taste this," and Dushan put it to his nose and he looked up at him with a smile and then took a little taste of it. And he said, this is exactly the style that we need. Wow. And uh, Don Pancho said, yeah. He goes, that's the kind of rum that we drank when I was a young man in Cuba. And wow. Duchan said, great. And he pulled out his backpack and pulled out a bag of sugar and some limes. And Don Pancho looked at him and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he said, what do you mean? He goes, we're going to make daiquiris. And he goes, in 50 years of making rum, no one's ever done this to me. That's amazing. <laughs> so was that the turning moment where he was like, all right, oh, let's do this. Yeah. And we have such a great relationship with them. Carlos, who's Don Pancho's partner, yeah. is a good friend, you know, to me and to the company. And, you know, um, you know, we, we, we kind of live and breathe it. Uh, and, and they've grown too. And they're, you know, they're involved in the, uh, in the sugar fields now yeah. and as well as the sugar production, the molasses production and all the way through distilling and aging. And it's amazing. So, uh, yeah, we get to be, you know, we get to be a part of like living history. Like we're resurrecting. Yeah. You res- And you know, it's interesting. A style of rum that didn't exist for a long time. Perfect timing there. And the embargo is lifted. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, all it's again, serendipity. You know, these things happen. Sure. You guys are incredible. Let's just say that I'm giving you guys credit for just dis- <laughs> disrobing the embargo, if you will. Like that this rum, this was so important that it improved relations between the United, <laughs> States, United States and Cuba. That's, there's some big implications there. It's yeah, possible. Yeah, I'm not sure if I would go with those. <laughs> Who's, it's not, uh, I don't think anybody will say otherwise. Yeah. You no one else it. has a microphone here. That's right. <laughs> the dog, my dog, she won't do anything about it. She didn't care. Yeah. So you've covered all those bases, the amazing spirits, great support in the industry. The label looks great. The bottle is functional, but also aesthetically pretty. So your artistic, and not integrity, your artistic sensibilities, how did those have a play in the design of the products? So, you know, actually, um, 
so my role, it probably did define my role in the A6 company going mm. back to where we kind of started this yeah, conversation. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I get to play out all those fantasies I had when I was younger. So I'm involved with the, uh, the direction. I mean, Simon really, Simon Ford really heads up all of the label design. I right. kind of come in to be a little bit more of a counterbalance mm-hmm. uh, for what's going on. It's very easy. I mean, I've worked with graphic designers a lot, and I I'm, know. Yeah, I imagine. I know how you branded employees only. I'm sure. Which yeah, is, yeah, which is a that very simple but iconic brand. Very, very much a big part of that. Yeah, and then, um, and then on the other side of it too is, uh, you know, the the communication of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, I've been a big part of. So trying to, uh, I mean, you know, you know this better than I do. Like the the spirits industry is is completely shrouded in yeah. smoke and mirrors. It absolutely. And, People don't understand why spirits are what they are because they don't understand the true method. So we've done our best to... Full disclosure. Full disclosure. Absolutely transparent brands, for sure. Without a doubt. Yeah. But we try to take people on steps where they can start to understand it. We're not doing it... You know, and, and like, you know, David Soro from San Brazil, mm-hmm. good, good friend. You know, we make tequila in the same house that he does. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, he introduced us to them, too. So, um, you know, he changed his label, and I read it, and I'm just like, wow, this is fucking genius like yeah you i mean if you know tequila you read the label it's like there's so there's so little information but when you read it you get the whole world absolutely in your yeah. hands we knew that we couldn't do that kind of thing it's we too knew academic it's you have now, to but you have to have a starting way. base you're totally right. no no yeah. not in a bad way at all yeah. i think it's genius it's great. and yeah. and they're completely positioned to be in that spot yeah and for us, we wanted to take people to understand what how the spirits were made and to appreciate how the spirits were made. So that's that's kind of what what I worked on with Simon. And then a- after that, I got to put on my PR hat. Nice. And uh, well, actually, even going back to, to employees only, I was mm. the uh, person who fielded all the the public relations. Oh, good. Well, you uh, have to, right? Two man. Well, you guys had some staff, but when you're doing the cocktail consulting, two two men strong. You wear a lot of damn hats. Oh no, we had well, there was five of us at employees. Only, okay, okay. So. so you at least got to staff up a bit, but yeah, but still, you have to be the the Swiss Army knife of tools to make things work because you can't hire people for all that stuff. Just gotta no, do it. and I mean at times we did too, sure. but even when we did, you know, and, and public relations is a great avenue for me. Going back to my creativity and mm-hmm. things like that, give me the parameters. Like you have you have a journalist who comes to you and says, "Hey, I'm doing an article about this. Right. I can figure out." how to relate part of my story or be, or, or figure out how to get to the point to tell my story. Yeah. You know, and yeah, that's uh, good. It's great. And that probably comes from bartending too. Well, yeah, <laughs> you're, you don't you think there's a little bit of inherent salesmanship that goes into being a bartender. Well, there's that. And one thing that good bartenders are really good at is that bartenders have repertoires of stories. Yeah. Right. And a lot of times I think subconsciously, Mm-hmm. They have these stories and some of them are more recent. So they're more applicable and things that have happened in the media, perhaps mm-hmm. some of them are personal stories. But when people start talking, you start to, I think, subconsciously try to find ways to get to tell stories right. that, that includes them in it, you know, in, yeah. in, in a way. Yeah, that's a good, it's, it's shrewd because we all want to share experiences. That's really what it comes down to. Well, you want to create conversation, too. sure, but it, and, but it's never it's but it, it's empathy. I think I I yes. like to think that the natural elements in people are that we talk because we find each other interesting, but we also want to share. I mean, it's it's a reciprocity there, and I I feel like that's one of the best talents of a great bartender, right? Is that you can be you can be a real person 
and you can be compassionate. You know, that's something I think that's goes hand in hand with creativity. I hope anyway. Well, there are some sure. megaloman- me- megalomaniacal artists that probably aren't too compassionate, but yeah, I, you know, for and this is <laughs> this is like one of the uh, I would say one of the employees only speeches. Like as when we first start talking to bartenders, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of look at a bartender in three parts. And there's the one part, which is the alchemist, sort of that mad scientist, the person who knows every recipe, who knows how to make drinks and things like that. This one component, the mixologist. The brainiac. Let's throw it there. Yes. So that that mixologist, alchemist kind of person. Mm -hmm. And then there is the next part, which is the the sage. So this is the person that has wisdom, advice. um, You know, uh, people, when you're behind the bar, people will turn to be like, who, who was the person that produced that movie? And you're expected to know it because you're the bartender. Gotcha. You know, you have people saying like, hey, you know, my boyfriend left me after 10 years. Like, should I, what should I do? <laughs> and you're 20 years old and you're like, uh, I don't know. Well, let me uh, put on my Go experience. Go screw someone hat. else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, but you're always expected and, you're, and your opinion is valid because in a way you're almost an urban shaman. Yeah. You know, that's, absolutely, that's a great term for it. You have, you have all the, the magic, right? Yeah. And, uh, so, and then the last part is, you know, kind of the, the rock star in a way. It's the, it's, it's that the Tom Cruise oh, kind of, yeah. you know, character or that person that, that is behind the bar and belongs there. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's funny. The one th- the only thing that all three of those have in common is confidence. Absolutely. So, you know, for us, what we always said was like, you need to project not arrogance, but confidence right. and being confident in your knowledge of spirits and making mm-hmm. drinks is important. Being confident in how to deal with situations is important. Yeah. And how to be confident in uh, being able to entertain and be in front of people yeah. is important. That's brilliant. And, you know, those. Th- although we're talking about staff and employees only, or we're talking about traits to being a talented mixologist, bartender, whatever, these are fundamental things to be just successful, you know? And... W- bring in this this particular attribute where do you think fear comes into that whole thing oh how do you mean well you have to be confident right you, you've got to have the sense that you have experience the fundamental expertise fear and anger are the path to the dark side that's i know that's what i'm <laughs> <laughs> but do you do you, do you think that because there's this there there's there's still that that fear that maybe i can't do this okay so there's here here's and this is a very very good point this is something that i it took me a long time to realize uh and when i first started bartending i didn't i was i was terrified to be in front of people yeah in fact speaking in front of people for me was probably the equivalent of jumping out of a plane wow you know like i have i had used to when i was younger i had a deathly like sort of like Seize up anxiety seizing fear of being in front of people and talking in front of them because i always like to be the person on the side right. just sort of watching and uh that sounds so creepy you don't have you don't know but <laughs> I like to but watch. uh <laughs> i'm just watching no but um but you know i almost enjoy the spectacle of of humanity and yeah. watching it take its play play its role but um uh i started working uh at pravda actually and that's where you know i started to get this confidence and the first place that i worked at even the woman who ran the bar she's like come on get people going get them mm. going and i'm like what do you mean like i have no idea what you're talking about rally a man rally him. yeah and at some point you know and it was when dushan igor and i worked together behind the bar we just had this really good way of creating 
interest and excitement. And it would always be the same kind, but we would just like gauge who was in front of us and we would get them enthralled with what we were doing in some way yeah. or get them talking to each other, you right, know, whatever, right. depending on the situation. But, you know, ultimately, like, I remember, uh, God, this girl came up to me at the bar and she mm-hmm. was like, well, you know why it is? She goes, because you have the front man of a band persona. And I was just like, what are you talking about? I'm a simple boy from a small village there in New Jersey. Go. John Cougar Mellencamp you know? in the like, flesh. Yeah. I'm like, that's not who I am. She yeah. goes, no, no, no. You don't understand. That's not who you are. Mm-hmm. When somebody walks in that door and they walk down those stairs, the person they see behind the bar is who you are. Ah, very good. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with who they think you are from a distance when they walk up to you. And so all, all of the a sudden- world's a stage, right? Well, it just it just changed my perspective on things. And in a way, I almost realized that when you're working behind a bar, you have a working character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I don't think that bartender, I don't think I've talked to a lot of bartenders that have the same necessarily uh, vernacular for describing it. But right, right. the way I would describe it is that you have a working character who's behind the bar mm-hmm. who is not you. It's the people, it's what... Is people's perception of that person right. behind the bar? Almost a caricature, right? Like it's, it's a caricature slightly, yeah. of you. So, but so that's the thing is like you know I'm Jason Cosmos, this simple you know guy, who's like kind of artsy right. and nerdy, and used to play Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. But meanwhile, you know the guy behind the bar is Jay. Yeah. And Jay can do this and this, and and Jay does things that I would never do. Yeah. You know that's amazing. Yeah. And uh, and why? Because it gets people excited and it's fun for them. And uh, I've heard Iggy pops like that. I, I probably believe that. There's Jim, yeah. and then there's Iggy Pop. And I'm taking that this is from another podcast, but that like, I love that. That's it. That's it's a brilliant thought because you think of this just rebellious, wild, sexual, voracious being right on stage, but then he's a normal dude. Sure, you know, and you you do have to put it out there. But so this is something I think is actually kind of that happens a lot. But kind of taking us to present day, where now you're kind of running the business or help run the business. Do you ever miss? the side of you that is the rock star, the performer. Cause you don't, you know, if you're sure. running social media for God's sakes, you, you can't do it the same way. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I mean, I, I do miss it. It's, uh, there's times that I miss it yeah. uh, for sure. Uh, I, I do have to say like I had, I had a, a brief opportunity, uh, even in town where, and it's not so much the rock star, but I was, uh, Helping the guys out at Laundrette mm-hmm. oh, in, yeah. in Austin names. when yeah. they were they were doing an investor dinner and they asked me if I would bartend that night oh, cool. and make some drinks for them, and so I did and I still like I still had the licks like there yeah. was oh, yeah. it wasn't about being the rock star but it was about you know the term I would say is like being behind the stick yeah you know it's like I by the time everybody left they knew my name mm-hmm. and. Like we had had an interaction in some way, or never. it had an interaction with their wife or right. their husband. You or, never you know. lost it. Never skipped. Yeah, the beat. no, it was it was so natural. It was such a like it was such a liberating experience to be like, oh, I love being behind the bar. That's incredible. You know, I wish I could always be behind the bar, but yeah. you know, there's there's other logistics in play. There are it's, in it's life that di- it's difficult that start to start to wear down you. If I could do it every day, you know, I would. Yeah. Well, I have one one other question for you. And I always use this because one of the premises of, of me sitting down here and like having this wonderful chat with you in this case is that I want someone to grab a bottle, right? I always ask the guests to, to grab a bottle and you've grabbed the old charter 12, which is like the workhorse of bourbons. This one I think is like early 1990s, but there's something about bourbon that's truly American 
truly earthy and soulful. Are you guys going to get into it? Into the bourbon game? Yeah. I mean, I'll kick myself if we do, but no. Yeah. Now, we, we've talked about it. Um, you know, we wanted to do whiskey for a long time. Uh, we had a couple of sources that we were sure. working with and trying to do blends and things like that. Um, you know, what we kind of found was, you know, for, for all of our spirits, like, we had to have a reason to do them. Right. And uh, we had a whiskey. Oh. And but we, it wasn't to market, was it? No. But you guys had, like, in the we, lab, we there's a whiskey. It. It's got yeah. a name. Simon and I were working on the branding event and the name, and we, we, were, we were fumbling with that. Like, it wasn't coming together. Yeah. And the spirit itself, like, it was, a, it was, it was originally supposed to be a rye, uh-huh. and uh, it wasn't playing out. So we started blending bourbon into it to try to, like, give it some, some uh, body. sweetness. Yeah, some, some, some body. silkiness. Yeah, it, yeah. You know, and that was, that's kind of how it was going down. And we got to a final point, and like I, Simon and I were both of the mindset. We're like, oh, we need to bag this. Like we were secretly, kind of giving each other messages that it yeah. was not working out. But none of us in the company had agreed upon it. And again, you know, my my mentor uh, Del DeGraw right, right. has has always been a great influence on in me. And you know, not somebody who's guided my life, but mm-hmm. been always somebody I've respected. And yeah, listened absolutely. To. Um, but he, uh, it's funny. We had the four spirits that we have now, mm-hmm. and plus that blended whiskey yeah and we had them all out for him to try and by the end of his tasting he put the four that we have now on one side and put the whiskey on the other oh wow! and he looked and he goes these four are amazing tremendous yeah love them great like the, the viscosity and the flavor oh, right i right. love them this one the whiskey not so much it's good <laughs> do you guys really want to do just good that's a great that's a great great way to put it yeah. So it just you guys had to table it. So we did. We mothballed. We mothballed whiskey, and it's a it's a fight we have at every sort of partners meeting that we have. Yeah. Uh, we always debate whether or not we're going to do it. Um, there has to be a reason. Sure. You know, everything we do is is mostly purposeful. You know, if we were smarter, we would actually do things that make more money. Yeah. Um, but we're uh, apparently like not that smart. <laughs> so <laughs> genius is not always a sign of it. <laughs> Some yeah, business intelligence though. Yeah, so. no, we're just we're sticking by our guns. So we're gonna if we make a whiskey, there'll be a good reason. There'll be a good producer. Yeah, and we'll you know we'll do a whiskey that makes sense for making cocktails. Like ultimately, at the end of the day, you know anything we do is gonna make a great drink. Yeah, and that's where it, where it comes in. Uh, for actually, we're we are doing our first brown spirit, which is kind of exciting. Oh, you so, care to share? Are you, you guys yeah. talking about it? Yeah, no, what, what are you it's, working it's about on? time to share. We yeah. start talking about it. We haven't really put it out there into the there's in a big way but sure um so uh, i mentioned that we've been working on this for over seven years yeah uh but one of the one of the things that we have is uh Kanye bravo which you know just talked a lot about right right we are uh we have left a certain amount of, wh- of uh rum in the barrel so oh, we wow. are going to be releasing a uh seven-year-old whiskey a uh, whiskey sorry seven-year-old Ooh, rum yeah wow yeah. <laughs> that was a revelation no but uh what they're we're really gonna... doing it's a... no, no. <laughs> Shh, don't tell it's whiskey no no it's <laughs> It's a it's a seven year old rum still made in the Cuban tradition. Oh wow! And uh, it it still has like, you know, much like when you. Uh, oh, I'm so excited about. It. I'm sorry. That's insane. But, uh, no, I'm excited about it. I'm just like, where's the bottle of it, Jason? I I don't have the sample yet. I'm waiting for it to oh, be delivered man. to me. You know the Texas laws. I know. It's not I, coming in the mail anytime soon. Well, so. not that they know. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Sorry. It's olive that, oil. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so basically we're doing, uh, and, and this was one that came born out of uh, a couple of inspirations. We wanted to do a, a dark spirit for sure, but that's mm. not why. 
but we wanted to do an age expression of of Kanye Brava. Yeah. And uh, so when Dushan Simon and I talked about it, uh, Dushan was was definitely the lead on this. He's like, I want a rum that has you know, the Carta Blanca style, the Spanish style, is very different than when you talk about like the heady, funky rums. Oh yeah, yeah. You can still get some grassiness from the molasses and mm-hmm. the barrel aging in a different way. So we wanted to take that and try to capture those barrels that had a lot of spice to them mm-hmm. and to make a rum that uh, would smell and taste like a rum, be of higher proof, but function like whiskey. Wow. So That's brilliant. What's the, you guys clocking the proof yet? It's at 90. 90. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's yeah. And uh, roughly seven years, good color on it and everything. I imagine yeah, it it's not Yeah, it's not as dark as you think. I mean, they're all used whiskey barrels. Yeah. They're all used bourbon barrels. So we're not we don't add caramel to anything, so yeah. we're not gonna get that like, you know, dark dark hue to it. It's a little bit golden and it might not be well, this is we're only doing one run of it. We'll see. Do you know how many bottles we're gonna end up? Um, geez. You know, actually how about this? Enough bottles to make it into Austin? Yes. Okay. We're gonna have enough bottles for at least six to nine months. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to try that. Yeah. So when do you anticipate that'll be hitting? Uh, actually, not that far away. Probably by December. Oh, wow. Uh, bottles will be hitting the market. So. Different label, too, I imagine? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's actually, we've done it. We've done it like almost a black label. I was going to say, it was probably like the inverse of the label. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant, man. I'm really excited to hear that. And to tie it up, you know, I bet it's just fucking brilliant and oh. not just good. No, it's, you know what? It's, okay, so... Here's the thing. So we've been working on it for a while. Mm. We've been testing barrels and, and tasting, getting samples from Las Cabras, from, from Carlos yeah. and uh, Don Pancho. And uh, we've been giving feedback. And so we, this is kind of our process. You know, right. Sometimes we go down to the distillery and we, we do some work. Mm-hmm. But then when we come back, a lot of the, the results of the work come back to us. And then we have to talk about it right? Mm. and talk about what we want to do. So uh, with this one... The last, the last uh, sort of batch we had, we're like, okay, we we're so close. We know exactly what we need to do. Oh, killer! We need a little bit more spice here. We need body in the middle. Here's what we need. Like these are the barrels to select, and so we we kind of like really fine tuned it. We're like, give us this. Yeah. And uh, we went to tales of the cocktail. This last one in June. Yep, this last oh, one in June. Cool. And uh, Deshaun's like, hey, Poppy, you know, I can't be there to go pick up the bottles. Can you go meet up with Carlos? And he's gonna give them to you. Mm-hmm. And I said, great. So. I uh, called up Carlos. He's like, yeah, we're at IHOP. He just said IHOP. Nice. I'm like, cool. So I met him at IHOP. <laughs> their, their hotel was like right above. And so uh, I go up with him to the room. And he goes, okay, I've got the two samples. I'm oh, like, wow. Oh, two samples. Okay, cool. I thought we had one sample. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So try it. And like looking at him and thinking mm. to myself, wow, Deshaun's going to fucking kill me if okay. I drink, if I taste this without him. Oh, man. And then I'm like, fuck it. All right. Let's go. So we, uh, I have. I know, right? Yeah. Oh, we were, we were in the, okay, we're in okay. the hotel room at this Although, point. Although, I, I, uh, with some syrup and some pancakes, be uh, you know, really molasses, incredible right? stuff. Yeah. So, uh, so Carlos pours me a taste of the first one, and I like, I put it to my nose, and I looked up, and I was just like, oh my God, man. Like, without even tasting, I was like, you guys did everything that we asked for. Wow. And then I took a sip of it, and it was so beautiful and so, like, so it was really tight. Yeah. Like, it was like direct and like almost like, I, don't know, I think no, sh- I know what you mean. I think it flavors the shapes. It was like a cylinder, like pow, right, right, like right. that. Not polygonal. No, not at all. No yeah. triangles. Yeah, and uh, it was definitely like cylindrical and coming at you. Mm-hmm. And it was great and touched everything that we wanted. And then I said, and he goes, "Now taste the other one." Oh, jeez. And I go, 
oh, okay. And so I put that one to my nose and I just looked up, like my eyes went bright wide open and my eyebrows were shooting up out of my head. And I was just like, fuck you, man. <laughs> I was, was like, I was like, I, I was like, you, I was like, we ask you to do all this stuff to make this rum that like, you know, we know exactly what we want yeah. and you do what we tell you to do, but you understand us so well that you make a fucking better Way version. Better. Yeah. Fucking hate you. It was That's- so amazing. And so we tested it and we tried it and uh, I tasted it then and I was just like blown away. It smelled, the difference was it, it smelled like rum. Yeah. It had this rum nose on it. It was so beautiful. And uh, luckily I, I just called up, uh, I've become friends with uh, Jeff Berry at, uh, from Beach Bum Berry, oh, Latitude yeah, yeah, yeah. 29. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I said like, hey man, would, would it be cool if we came down and tasted some rum with you? Like my partners haven't tried it yet. And he's just like, yeah, yeah, come down, come down. Very cool. In the middle of Tales of the Cocktail, right? Oh man. And so we sat up by the pool that's outside of their bar mm-hmm. and uh, we just, we all, we all tasted it for the first time. Oh, not me. <laughs> well, you, you had to play I, like it was the first I, time right no no but we all t- we all tasted it everybody was blown away um it was just a it was a it was a phenomenal experience and we even had um yeah we even had another guy who's uh has got this antique rum collection um mm. his name is steve he's from new orleans too and he's just he was there too and it fuck a beautiful man like really yeah wonderful guy like very he looks like he would be very like judgmental and discerning but he's very a sweetheart, as they say. Oh, he's such a sweetheart. Yeah. yeah. And he, he tasted it and he was just like nodding his head. And he's like, this is good. Wow. <laughs> so we're That's all, killer, man. Oh, we're all so incredibly I excited. I can't, I can't wait to try it. Yeah. I think it's going to be, I can't wait to try it again. I'm like yeah. waiting for another sample. The cruel uh, mistress of waiting. Uh, well, I didn't bring it back. I should have just kept that sample yeah. and took it back home with but me. I'm sure you have plenty at some point. And I think it'll Soon be... Soon enough, yeah. It'll just hit right home. I oh, think. my wife's going to drink it all. That's yeah. what's going to happen, yeah. <laughs> Put it in a vodka bottle. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Or no, uh, yes, never mind. So, thank you so much. It's been really just wonderful hearing about the details of... Thank you. ...your journey, man. It's insane. And to to punctuate that with that rum, that's wanting us... We're all waiting to try that rum. <laughs> so, thank you so much, Jason. I hope we soon talk enough. soon, man. Thank Likewise. You. See ya. Bye. What a great guy. Wonderful chat with Jason. Really looking forward to the new rum. Really looking forward to spending some more time with him too. Guys, he's a good guitar player. Has lots of stories. And maybe we'll chat again. But thank you for tuning in to Show to V. And remember to, because we're on live TV, keep dancing. <laughs>